Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is where we're going to begin this morning. I'm going to spend a little time here, but this morning the message is the gospel. We've been going over the three circles uh, the past three weeks. This is the third week, and the third circle is the gospel. The gospel is the point, the purpose, and the reason for our worship. The gospel is why we are here today. If the gospel is not true... Let's turn off the lights and go home. But it is true. The gospel is true. It is what we celebrate today. The resurrection proves the gospel. The resurrection is fundamental to the gospel. And the resurrection is what we celebrate not just today, but every Sunday. And as believers, we celebrate the resurrection every day. As Jesus dwells in us. The gospel is, is very clear. Uh, we, we begin with the gospel kind of today. Today is the, the, today's topic in the, the, the gospel story is found in Luke 24.1. You don't have to turn there. And I will be referencing a number of verses this morning. But they will all be on the screen uh, for you to look at. So you don't have to flip around if you don't want to. If you don't have a Bible of your own this morning, feel free to use one in the pew rack in front of you. Luke 24, 1, though, tells us why we're here today. Why, why we even meet on this day of the week. 24, 1, on that first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has been resurrected. And that set in motion 2,000 years ago what we continue this morning, a celebration of the Lord's day, the day of his resurrection. The gospel is incomplete without this part of the story. Paul will say in other places, if Christ has not been resurrected, then we are to be pitied above all men because we're stupid, dumb idiots. It's a paraphrase. But we are. If, if, if there's no resurrection, then what are we doing? Well, the resurrection is the 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 exclamation point to the gospel story but we've got to ask how did we get to Luke 24 how did we get here on this day or really 2,000 years ago on that day how did they get to the tomb to begin with how did Jesus get to the tomb we're not going to answer how he came out God did it there there's your answer but we're going to look at how he got there why did we even end up at the tomb to begin with well we don't go back to the beginning of Luke we go back even further we go back to Genesis, where we've been for the last two weeks and continue this morning. We began in Genesis 1 and 2, where we see God's design, what he planned, how he created everything and it was good, and he created man, the, the pinnacle of his uh, creation, and he said it was very good. And his goodness and his design was evident from the beginning. 
God's design for us as individuals, you and me, all humanity, was to walk and talk with him just like Adam and Eve once did. And just like God was expecting them to on that fateful day when he was walking in the garden in chapter 3 and said, where y'all at? And they couldn't answer. And they departed because they departed from God's design. See, Adam and Eve wanted to do it their way. They wanted to, to do their plans like they thought would be best. The Bible always calls departing from God's plan sin. The Bible also tells us that all have sinned and fall short of God's perfect design. Sin leads to brokenness. We sin, we are broken. And we talked about brokenness last week. And we all know how brokenness feels. We, we know how it shows up in our own lives. We can see it in the lives of other people. It, brokenness feels like broken relationships and addiction and depression, and discouragement and fear and guilt and shame and hurt. And we look around the world and we see evidence of brokenness today. If, if you're not a news person in the mornings, a number of Sri Lankan churches were bombed this morning, Easter Sunday. Uh, last count I saw, over 200 people are killed at their Easter Sunday services. They gave their lives for the gospel to worship. That's what brokenness feels like. It feels like people who would come in to a church and bomb it or shoot it up as our brothers and sisters at Sutherland Springs know from a year and a half ago. And we all want out of the brokenness, right? We, we want away from that. Why is it like that? So we try to fix it. We've got plans, right? We, we, we medicate it with drugs or numb it with alcohol. We, use, uh, we strive to be better people. We, we vote the right people in. We, we make the right changes in our lives. We, we read the right books, hoping that somehow, someway, our good will outweigh our bad. We, we look for ways to alleviate the pain of that brokenness. And when we do that, invariably and inevitably, we just get more and more broken. Because our fixes don't fix anything. This brokenness feels like a bad thing. And in the moment, in the situation, it absolutely is a bad thing. It's the result of the fall. It's the result of sin. It's a result of creation crying out, groaning under the weight of the sin that we brought onto the world that day in Adam and Eve. But in many ways, brokenness is a good thing because it's the way God gets our attention. When we feel broken on the inside and everything's messed up, we know something needs to change. And this is where we get some really good news. This is where the good news that God made, our, made a way out of our brokenness comes in. The gospel. See, right after Adam and Eve sinned, God told them he would fix their brokenness. Genesis 3.15, our focal passage this morning. He, God is in the midst of his, the cursing and the punishment of the serpent, the woman, and the man. But in this midst of curse, in the midst of punishment, just like with God, always with God, there's grace and there's mercy 
and there's hope. There will be consequences, he's going to say, but there will always be a way out. Verse 15, I'll put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. At this moment, he is talking to the serpent. Let's not lose, fact, uh, lose sight of that fact. He's, he's telling the serpent what's coming. In the midst of that curse, and in the midst of that punishment, to the serpent, here's the grace that I'm offering. Not you, little snaky dude, but my people. My special creation. The pinnacle of my work of those seven days, six days. See, God made a way out of our brokenness. We saw the design last week. We saw the, the, the brokenness this week. We are seeing the way out of that brokenness. The promise he gives here was the victory of the seed. It's an interesting phrase. In, in Hebrew, it is singular. It's a singular word, but at various times throughout the Bible, the, the Old Testament, the word the seed can mean a bunch of people, even though it's singular, and it can mean one person because, well, it's singular. So it, he's, he, God is saying a lot of things here, but the promise is in the offspring, in the seed of Adam and Eve. And there's a very basic uh, uh, promise here is that basically humans are going to win over snakes. I mean, that's there. It, it, it's, it's part of the creation, the, the sinfulness, the fall is most people don't like snakes and most snakes don't like people and they live like that. Uh, how many of you are a, a only good snake is a dead snake? Yeah, see, they're not all venomous. You realize that, okay? I mean, they eat, uh, not a conversation to have here today. I got it. <clears throat> but that's at the very basic level, there will be an eternal fight in God's creation. Why? The creation was good. Even the snake was good. The serpent was good at its creation. But sin, the breakdown of God's design, put a, uh, a, 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 a looking for a particular word, I'm not going to find it, a, a, a head-butting, or in this case head-to-heel-butting, uh, relationship between the serpent and in particular the woman. So yeah, there's that. There's that promise of victory. Your offspring, uh, the offspring of the woman, snake, is going to come out on top most of the time. Just get ready for that. Uh, the, the second promise is a, a promise of God's grace toward his special creation over the wiles of the schemer. Now we're looking broader than just uh, uh, a natural, biological, uh, ecological, ecological uh, fight between women and serpents. We're now looking at the broader theme of God's special creation. Humanity will be given the grace to overcome the wiles of uh, the devil, the schemer. So it's a broad statement. It is not specific in that sense, right? Just as you take it, if you just take it as it's written, it's not specific yet. Moses, when he was writing this down, probably didn't understand the specificity of it that we now understand. He was looking forward. He may have had some idea of a Messiah, but he certainly understood God is going to take care of his people. And he's going to give them the grace to overcome temptation. Overcome sin. But what he didn't understand, probably. But what we understand now, looking back, through the lens of Jesus, and looking back at that verse, we see through time and history, we see that he 
that, that, that humanity beats snakes, if we're pay, playing paper, rock, scissors, but it's, one's a human, one's a snake, most time human's going to win, right? So we, we, we see that, sure, and we see as we look back through the Old Testament over and over and over how God led his people to overcome sin, but then we see much more in focus, much closer up, the cross. We see one man defeating the serpent. Yes, yes, that is what Moses was talking about here when he wrote this passage for us. The promise was that one man would defeat the serpent. And that man isn't sitting in any of these pews. And he's not up here. And, and he, 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 there's not been but one. And he's been, he still is. Let's not be confused, but I don't, shh, I don't want to give away the ending yet. But God continues. He says, I'm going I'm to give you, uh, put this hostility between y'all and uh, between your offspring and her offspring. One man, will, one seed will do this. Even in verse 21, though, if we keep going a little bit. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. So God sacrificed an animal or two or three or however many it took to make clothes. He shed its blood in order to cover his humans. To cover his people, a picture, a, a very uh, distant picture and a, an incomplete one, but a picture nonetheless of the covering of our sinfulness, our shame, and our brokenness. God sacrificed an animal, shed its blood, but God was not done shedding blood for our sins. Fast forward a lot. And we find that God sent his son to shed his blood. Animal sacrifices were just the way of doing it for a long time. It was it was temporary. It 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 did part of it, but it didn't take people all the way, so they had to constantly continue this sacrificial system, sacrificing uh, animals because without this uh, shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The Bible says. So God had to send a one-time sacrifice. One lamb that could do the work that all the millions of other lambs couldn't. John 3.16 says, For God so loved, or rather, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son, his one and only son. But he didn't just come. He wasn't just an example of how to live. The, the, the cross wasn't a tragic accident that shows us how bad the world is and how good God is, as some articles are floating around here in the last few days in, in newspapers and online. That's not the cross, it's not an, just an example. It is, of course, it is an example of how we are to live and to lay down our lives, certainly. But that's not the end of it. That's not the extent of it. That's not the extent of what Jesus did on the cross. Hebrews 10, 10 through 14, a, a, a book all about sacrifice. says, By this will of God we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Does that sound like an accident? That it just so happened that Jesus got crucified and man, that was a tough day for him. But hey, on the bright side, we got sanctified accidentally. 
that's not the case. That was the purpose. Verse 11, Hebrews 10, uh, 11. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. Our work, our labors can never take away sins. But this man, this man Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, does that sound like an accident? He just ended up on the cross. He offered himself, sat down at the right hand of God. You ever get to the end of a long day? A couple of weeks ago, I haven't cut the grass in like three weeks. But the last time I cut it, it had been like three months. So it was all the leaves and the grass and the edging and everything. It was just a mess. And it took probably four times longer than it normally did. And you get to the end of, of that labor and you get to do what? Go sit down. But I have two five-year-olds, so it wasn't peaceful or anything. But I still got to sit down. Why? Because my labor was done. My work was done. Now, it, it's no place of, of honor. It's just on the couch in front of the TV. So nothing special about it. Y'all can come sit there too. It's no big deal. Jesus, on the other hand, though, we, we're getting that picture here in this passage of him completing the work. And when the work was done, he sat down. Not just to rest, rest and relax and watch TV, but he sat down, it says, at the right hand of God. He took a position of authority. He took up a position uh, next to God of God saying, this is it. This is why I sent him. That's what he was supposed to do. Now he has completed his work that I sent him to do. And verse 13, he is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, one offering himself, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. No accident God sent his son to shed his blood that's the work that's the plan that's what God did but that's not the end of it we need to understand Michael what is that gospel okay I got it the work he had to cover it he had to fix it you know the, the fixing the brokenness but how did that work the gospel is simply this Jesus died for our sins was buried and God raised him from the dead Michael that's too easy congregation I know but that's the way it is. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Paul wants the people to understand exactly what the gospel is. He has talked about in all of his letters a lot of things that are important for the church to do. And, and it's, it's how to do church and how to love each other and, and how to live and what to do, not to do, etc., etc. But he wants them to understand there is one gospel. There is one thing, one statement that is the gospel. And he says, now brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaimed to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it. This one gospel, that's what you are saved by. All the works, I, uh, all the things I'm telling you you need to do as a in a response to that, no, that doesn't save you. Uh, sacrificial system or anything like that, is that what you, that doesn't save you. The one thing by which you are saved, if you hold to the message I proclaim to you, uh, unless you believe for no purpose, it was head knowledge that you gave, but it wasn't real, it wasn't hard. Unless you did that, this is the message that saves you. I passed on to you as most important what I also received. And here is the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to 
the scriptures. Michael, there's no more. I see a comma. There's a comma at the end of that right up there. There's more. Yeah, but there's no more gospel. He says a lot more. He's a preacher, right? He's going to say more. But that is the gospel. That's it. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Christ died for our sins. The gospel saves us from our sins. Michael, what are our sins? Michael, uh, congregation rather, the sins are our brokenness. The sins are what caused the brokenness. Brokenness isn't a sin. Let me, let me don't, don't walk away hearing that. But brokenness is a result of our sin. We are all sinners. And the gospel saves us from our sinfulness. Saves us from our sins. That's why we believed. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul talking again. Because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. Remember the context of these messages, if you've been here the last couple of weeks. We are introducing three circles as a tool to share the gospel. Just a way of, of uh, explaining the gospel to someone who needs to hear it. That's what these messages are about. And, and we can, and I do this, I, I depend way, 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 way too much on me. I've got to be the perfect orator on Sunday mornings. Get, the, get it just right so people hear it and respond to it. Or I've got to have a deep relationship with someone uh, with whom I'm sharing the gospel. I've got to know all about them. I've got to uh, get it just right. If I, if I say the wrong thing or if I, uh, I look the wrong way or there's some spinach tucked in my teeth, which ain't never going to happen. I don't eat spinach. But if it's something else, you know, if, if there's some distraction, there's no power in it. Where does it say the power is? In the speaker? No, in the gospel. The message that he was buried, he died according to our sins, or died to our, for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. That is the power. The gospel is the power for salvation to everyone who believes. It is that simple. We merely just have to repent and believe the gospel. Michael, that sounds too easy. Congregation, you're right. Mark 1.15, though, tells us, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. That is the message of the gospel. What is the gospel? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again according to the scriptures. Repent and believe. Repent means to change. You may have heard this before. Repent is in a military term. It is an about face. It's going from one direction to the other. It means to change, to turn from our sins and turn to Jesus. Yes, there is a volitional, willful act on our part to come to Jesus. We have to do something. It's not a work. It doesn't earn us our salvation, but it is a response to the gospel message 
When the Holy Spirit draws us, when the Holy Spirit pricks our heart and, and stirs our conscience and, and quickens, quickens us toward his message, we then repent, we turn, we change, but we can't change on our own. We, 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 we maybe walk in a direction and, 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 and Lord, I want to repent, I, I, I don't like my sin, so we turn. Years later, we're back. Oh, I gotta repent. I change, and okay, but I'm gonna go. No, I gotta repent. I gotta turn back. I'm turning, and 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 we get spiritually dizzy because we're in this cycle, this 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 time loop of of trying to repent and cover up all we're doing by repenting. We might even tie, uh, cry some and and get some good tears and use a lot of Kleenexes in our repentance. But what we're experiencing is a, an emotional response to the gospel message. And that's good, because we are to repent. But if that's all we think we have to do, we are wrong. We have to believe. We repent and believe. I can repent in sackcloth and ashes a million times and never go to heaven. Without faith, without belief in the gospel. Jesus Christ was crucified according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Repent and believe. God make, Jesus makes a, a, an interesting statement in John, later on in John. See, God does not condemn us. Why would God send us to hell? Well, he, he doesn't. I mean, he, he gives us what we have earned, if you think you can earn salvation, you're wrong. So you're wrong. So what you have actually earned is condemnation by your refusal to repent and believe. But it is not God's condemnation that does it. We're already condemned because of Genesis 3. We already live in a state of sinfulness. We are already sinners. We have already broken God's law. Even if you stop today sinning, you've already done enough in your past to send you to hell. If you did it once, the Bible says, one law, breaking one law is as much as breaking all of them. God doesn't want to condemn us. God, in fact, wants to save us. And Jesus told Nicodemus this in the cover of night, John 3, 17 through 21. After scripture says that for God so loved the world in this manner that he sent his one and only son, uh, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He says, for God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world. It wasn't the purpose of Jesus to walk, in, uh, walk around going, sinner, going to hell, sinner, going to hell, sinner, going to hell, sinner, going to hell. That wasn't his purpose. His purpose was that the world might be saved through him. Now, by his very existence, by the very fact he needed to come to save us, automatically means we needed to be saved, doesn't it? It means that, he says here, verse 18, anyone who believes in him is, who is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The gospel message is here. Jesus has come. And people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Why don't you repent? Because you love darkness more than light. Why don't you believe? Because your deeds are evil. 
For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. It is God's purpose. It is God's goal. It is God's will to save us. Folks, we're asking toward the end of the lives of the apostles, late in the, that century, 70s, 80s, A.D., where's Jesus? What's, we kind of thought when he said, hey, I'll be back, we thought he meant like a few hours. He was going to McDonald's. Quick milkshake with God, then he was coming back and everything. But no, it's been a few years. And, 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 and guys, folks are dying and, and, and we're burying them and stuff, and we go back, and the bones are still there, so it doesn't seem like they're leaving. or go. What's happening? And, and they were questioning, and, and they questioned Paul, and he had to answer that in his letters to the church in Thessalonica, First uh, and Second Thessalonians. And Peter, in one of his letters, his latest letters, had to answer that well. He said, God's not slow. He's not, he's not forgotten. He, he's not looking for his keys. He's like, well, I know I'll put him around. I was going to be back by now, but uh, God does not want anyone to perish. God wants to save everyone. But we must repent and believe. And then through our belief, through uh, the response to the gospel, uh, God wanting to save us, he helps us recover and pursue his design for our lives. That's the work of the cross. It is God fixing what was wrong. Fixing the relationship. Uh, one way he does that, the Bible says, he removes the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. When we repent and believe, the gospel says that God will help us recover and pursue his design for our lives. His spirit indwells us and empowers us. Jesus promised that when he left. I will send my spirit and he will indwell you and lead you into all truth. When that spirit indwells us and that spirit empowers us, it works in our hearts. It leads us. It guides us. It does things in us that we cannot do on our own. He restores us to the way we were supposed to be, the Bible tells us. He says he reconciles us. He, he uh, fixes the relationship. You ever, you ever had somebody that uh, you're really close to and then they were stupid. You were perfect right, in this situation. You did nothing wrong. They were complete idiots. And that relationship got broken. And there's just no way you think that relationship can be fixed because, well, they're idiots and you're perfect, right? That's, that's all of our problems, right? Everybody else is the, okay, maybe there's more 50-50 here and I'm, I'm, maybe I'm exaggerating. I'm glad you corrected me on that by your giggles. And then somebody comes along, and maybe it's not even a somebody, but maybe it is. Maybe it's somebody that comes along and says, look, I know what y'all were. And I know the relationship you had. And I believe you can have that relationship again. And I, I know you're perfect, and they're not. Or maybe, maybe it's the other way around, or maybe you share it. But 
I want to bring y'all back together. And I want to work on this. That's a reconciliation. That's a fixing of the relationship. That is exactly what Jesus does. Because the truth is, God is perfect and we're idiots. And the relationship is broken. And the relationship is irreparable, irreparable, unfixable, completely broken. And Jesus comes and he restores the relationship. He reconciles us and he repairs what was broken. Paul talks about it again to the church in Corinth. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And look, new things have come. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. wonder what that's talking about. I think it might be talking about believers telling other people about how they can be reconciled to God through Jesus. Oh, he goes on and finishes it for me. I, I didn't have to guess. In the verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We're fixed. We're healed. The, the Bible says we are new creations. And this is a, a difficult concept maybe for some of us to wrap our heads around. If, if you're like me and you became a believer at a young age, 9, 10 for me, it's hard to look back at myself then and say I was reconciled. The relationship was fixed because I didn't know how bad my relationship with the Lord could be broken. That took my teenage years, really, to understand that. But even then, at the point of my understanding of the gospel, I understood that I was a sinner and needed to be reconciled to God. So that feeling of a new creation at nine years old, a little harder to get. I, I get that feeling later on in life. When I sin, but I know I'm forgiven. When I repent and return and renew that relationship, not reconcile it, but just renew it, and it, the problem's me, not with God, and I get to feel a glimpse of that. But I love Love, love to see adults come to Christ. Adults who have been far from God for a long time. And they don't think God could love them because they know what they were. What they are. And the Savior does His reconciling work. And they are new creations. To hear testimonies of what I was the day before and, and what I was the day after are 180 degrees different. It's like I was walking one direction and I turned around and I started walking another. That's the reconciling work of Jesus Christ in our lives. We are new creations. And as new creations, we are now ambassadors for God to a broken world. That's our job. That's our calling 
believer, we have no other purpose in life, certainly none greater than sharing the gospel with a world that is trying to fix their brokenness and just making it worse. And we have the answer. You've probably heard the analogy before, how selfish would I be if I found the cure to cancer but didn't share it with those suffering from cancer? Well, believer, how selfish are we that we have the cure for sin but we don't share it with those who are suffering from sin. We want to share the message of the gospel with everyone, or at least we, very, we should. On Friday, well, Sunday was coming, right? If you're here early enough, you saw the video. Love it. On Friday, the serpent bruised the heel of Jesus. I told you there was one, one seed. It was coming. Generally, but there was a specific event. Surprise. It's Jesus. On Friday, around, well, he started striking, the serpent did, early on. That Thursday night, in the garden. And over and over and over, he struck. And in the morning, or, 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 or rather, uh, in the, overnight, in that, that, that kangaroo court, where they slapped him and beat him and pulled out his beard and uh, then the next morning when he was whipped to the point that the skin was muscle was pulled off of his back and the crown of thorns placed on his head and wrapped in a robe to mock his kingship, allowing the blood to dry and to stick to that robe. Then later on, as they prepared to nail him to the cross, rip that robe off and start the blood flow again. And lay him out on that cross. And put those nails through his hands. And put them through his feet. And you hear the hammer of that nail. You hear the agony. And the cries. Maybe not of him. Much more man than me. Certainly in those few. That were still following him. At the foot of that cross. See him raised up. The last spear thrust that proves his death as blood and water flow from the uh, sack around the heart. And we see the fatal strike of that serpent. The last one. The winning blow, it would appear, the serpent thought. What a day of celebration it was in hell that Saturday. He's in the grave. He was done. He was gone. We've won. The serpent bruised the heel of Jesus on Friday. But on Sunday, <laughs> on Sunday, Jesus bruised the head of the serpent. And it doesn't, it, that word in Hebrew, it can actually mean a bunch of things. It can mean strike. It can mean bruise, it can mean crush, and it's just awkward to translate it two different ways in one sentence, but I really like to translate it in two different ways. Satan bruised the heel. Bruises hurt. Bruises are painful. They can be debilitating. They are, they are something you don't want to have, but they compare in no way 
to a crushing blow on the head of the serpent. And that's what we saw Sunday morning. A crushing blow. A final work. When Jesus cried out on that cross on Friday, Tetelestai, it is finished. It didn't mean i got a couple of more days to do this. It was over that day. It was over at 3 o'clock on Friday. He just spent a few days letting people get really worked up about it until Sunday morning. Until he popped out of that grave and said, it's over. It's done. The gospel is true. Believe on me and you will be saved. That's the gospel message. God's design is there for every area of our lives. Our three circles that will be on the screen here in a second show us that message. God has a design for every area of our lives, our families, our marriages, our money, our lives, our work life. Life in general, there is a design. And God designed us beyond those various things to be in relationship with him. But we have all departed from that design, and the Bible calls that sin. We're born with a sinful nature, so sin comes naturally to us. There's no one who is right all the time. We all sin and we all fall short of God's perfect design, Romans 3.23 tells us. The sin leaves us in brokenness. We get brokenness. We understand it. Our relationships, our addiction, our body, it almost is like our body craves brokenness. But we want out of it. So we try to fix it. And those squiggly lines show our feeble, poor attempts to fix brokenness, but we can't. We strive to be better people. We hope that somehow, some way, that we'll tip the scale in our favor. A little more good than bad. Woohoo! I get to go through. So we look for ways to alleviate our pain. And when we do that, we find that we're just getting more and more broken. And as bad as it feels, God uses that to get our attention. When we feel broken on the inside and everything is all messed up, we know something needs to change. And brokenness will finally get us ready to try God's solution. And his solution is to repent and believe the gospel. That's his solution. We repent. We turn. The change we really need comes from Jesus and nowhere else. God sent Jesus to live a perfect life, die the death we deserve, take our sin on him and our punishment for that sin, and then be raised to life again, proving that he is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do. Jesus came to forgive our sins. And when we repent and believe in him, when we trust the gospel message, he gives us his spirit who helps us recover and pursue God's design. And we get back to that relationship. We are reconciled. It's not over yet. That is the best time to then go to the broken world and tell them that God's design is perfect and right and their brokenness can be healed and that they can find their way out of brokenness. This morning I'm asking you, which circle are you in? Where are you? Are you in brokenness? Are you there in God's design, but you need to get out in the broken world? Are you there in that gospel circle and you've heard it and today you want to respond to that? to it what do you need to do today you can't leave jesus on the cross this morning he's not there so you can't leave him there 
You can't stop at the message there. You can't ignore the empty tomb because it's empty. He's not there. And he was seen by over 500 people in the days after. You can't leave him there. This morning, you have to answer the question, what will you do with the gospel? Paul said again, and I will say again, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. I am an ambassador for Christ. And I'm certain this morning that God is appealing through me. I plead this morning on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. When Jesus came to Golgotha, they hanged him on a tree. They drave great nails through hands and feet and made a calvary. They crowned him with a crown of thorns, red were his wounds and deep. For those were crude and cruel days, and human flesh was cheap. When Jesus came to sulfur, they simply passed him by. They never hurt a hair of him, they only let him die. For men had grown more tender, and they would not give him pain. They only just passed down the street and left him in the rain. This morning, I beg you, do not pass him by as if the message isn't for you. As, he ha- as if he has nothing for you today plead with you, I beg with you, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are still in the reconciling business, Lord, that you want to save us all. And I pray for the hearts of those this morning that are leaning that direction, that they would make the decision, that they would push through and they would follow, they would trust, they would repent and believe the gospel. And Lord, I pray that we as believers will be encouraged to take that gospel to a broken world that will find healing nowhere else but in you. In the Son that you sent to die on that cross, that you sacrificed for us, Lord. Thank you for that work. May your Holy Spirit work in every heart this morning according to your will. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So how should you respond today? Should you accept Christ? Tom will be over here on my right in this corner. I'll be over here on the left. If you'd like to pray with us, if you'd like more information, if you want to catch one of us afterward, that's fine. Maybe you need to come make an altar of this stage, give something to the Lord. Maybe you have other things you'd like us to pray about. Come and talk to us. Let us know. If you'd like to ask for prayer on using the connection card, we'd love to do that for you too. Whatever your decision is today, don't leave Jesus on the cross. He's not there. Don't leave him in the tomb this morning. He's not there. But let's stand. Let's sing. And as he works on your heart, be reconciled to God.